0: welcome to socialist news now today's date is february 8th 2020. today we have a three-part episode Uh, first we're going to cover the iowa caucus Uh, then we're going to talk about the new hampshire primary that's coming up soon and then we're going to end with uh, some discussion on the leftist approach to electoralism and whether or not a leftist should participate in things like uh, american bourgeois electoralism at all First, in order to fully understand uh, the results and what went down in Iowa, I'm going to talk about how the Iowa caucus is uh, run in the first place, because it honestly is quite the convoluted mess. Um, Americans like to make big claims about their democracy and how it's the standard for the world. Uh, But as you'll quickly see, the system that we've designed is anything but a standard for anything. And in fact... America has probably overthrown countries um, for elections that were m- more appeared more legitimate than what just happened in Iowa. So first off, uh, the Iowa caucus is reports three different things uh, to get to its what's called the pledged delegates. The first of these metrics is called the first alignment. Now, what the first alignment is. It's essentially what you would think of as an election. You go to your polling place, or in this case, uh, your caucus location, and you cast a vote for who you want to see win the election. In normal primary states, this would be the end of the entire discussion. That that vote is your vote. And they take those results and uh, allocate delegates based on the percentage of the vote that you got. Now, in Iowa, this is not the case you have to reach what's called viability in order to receive any delegates whatsoever and viability is considered 15 percent or more so they take an initial vote that first alignment any candidates and people who voted for any candidates below 15 percent are then given an opportunity to go cast a vote for someone who had more than 15 percent on first alignment this is called the second alignment and the second alignment works uh, essentially the exact same way as the first alignment sans the candidates that could not reach that 15 percent threshold this the second alignment is what they use to calculate state delegate equivalence and what state delegate equivalence is is supposedly a ratio of the amount of votes you got in a precinct is how many state delegates you get when it comes to selecting um, the winner of the Iowa caucus. So they attribute a certain number of delegates to each precinct based on their predictions of the turnout in these precincts. So say if you're in a, a, a precinct in Des Moines, Iowa, and your precinct is allocated eight delegates and four candidates reached viability, let's say Sanders, Buttigieg, uh, Judge, I'm sorry. Um, Biden and Klobuchar or Warren, whichever one, pick whoever you want. Four candidates reached viability in that precinct, but Bernie Sanders took down 30% of the vote while everyone else took down, you know, anywhere from 15 to 20% of the vote. What would happen is Bernie Sanders should get 30% of the um, state delegate equivalents that are attributed to that caucus. So he should get 30% of the eight delegates. But all three steps of this process are simply there to determine what's called the pledged delegates. And yes, I realize just how crazy and convoluted this is coming across, and that's truly how confusing this caucus process is. So state delegate equivalents are not the delegates That vote for the Democratic nominee in their convention. State delegate equivalents are just the people who are going to select or just just the conversion metric for these pledged delegates. I'm not exactly sure what the conversion ratio between state delegate equivalents and pledged delegates are. All I know is that it is technically equal on that stage. So if you have or on that stage of the process. So if you have 500 pledge or state delegate equivalents, and another candidate has 500 state delegate equivalents, you get the same amount of pledged delegates in the convention in July, etc. It's the state delegate equivalents where there's some strange things. Let's leave it at that for. I'll go into it here shortly, but some strange things going on with those uh, allocations. All right. So now that we've covered how they work what happened in the Iowa caucus. So first alignment comes across, comes around on caucus night. Bernie Sanders won the first alignment by over 6,000 votes. So this is the alignment where people are then allowed, if their candidate was not over 15%, to go to a different candidate. So the second alignment, the vote that's taken after these um, voters are allowed to realign with someone else, Bernie Sanders won that vote by 2,000 votes. So his lead did shrink, but at, in the scale of a state the size of Iowa, Bernie Sanders still had a two-point uh, lead in the popular vote at this point in time. Now, where we get into state delegate equivalence, this is where some of the, huh, this does not sound like democracy comes in. So Bernie Sanders goes into state delegate equivalence with 2,000 more votes and comes out of state delegate equivalents down to state delegates. How is this possible and how can you possibly consider this democracy? We don't know. The jury's still out on that. But this is how they've engineered the math in order to do this. Bernie Sanders support largely people of color, largely young people, and largely urban working class uh, Americans. Actually, I shouldn't even say urban working class. They're largely working class Americans. Buttigieg's support. He has a lot of rural support. He has a lot of elders, elderly support, and Iowa set up their caucus in a way to explicitly make the votes of of like agricultural counties worth more than the votes of urban centers of college campuses. So a farmer. In one of the smaller counties, objectively, it's a fact, his vote was far more impactful in determining state delegate equivalence than a college kid on Iowa State University campus. So that's how they engineered their caucuses so that Buttigieg comes out with the lead in state delegate equivalents, despite him losing the popular vote by two points on second alignment and 6,000 votes on first alignment. And if you're familiar with uh, the American political system at all, you'll notice a similarity here. This is the exact same system that is used in our general election for selecting a president called the Electoral College, which when the founder, founding fathers of the country put it in place, they did it explicitly as a check on democracy to suppress votes in, in a certain... Certain states that happens to have more people so that these smaller states have more say in the direction of a country. It's the same concept. It's just applied on the county level in Iowa, which is profoundly hypocritical considering it's is the Democratic Party that is calling for the abolition of the Electoral College. And rightly so, I will add. Um, The Electoral College is an aristocratic concept. It has no place in any kind of democracy, and it has no place in any kind of workers' movement as well. It does need to go, but it is so hypocritical that the party that is calling for the abolition of the Electoral College by and large is using the same concept to suppress and delegitimize the support for Bernie Sanders in these elections. Now, if you happen to go on Twitter at the... At all over the past few days, if you follow any sort of political individuals on Twitter, you'll know there was quite a bit of a dust up regarding the Iowa caucus. They went very, very poorly. And I want to touch a, uh, touch on what exactly happened and some of the corruption, uh, at least suggested corruption that happened in the middle of the Iowa caucus. Of course, corruption working against Bernie Sanders, because the capitalist electoral system that we have in this country will never quietly submit to any kind of workers movement whatsoever. So first off, uh, the Iowa Democratic Party, I'll probably call them the IDP as I go into this. So that's what that stands for, Iowa Democratic Party. They commissioned an app to be made to help them report the results of these precincts. They hired a company called Shadow Incorporated, The irony of hiring a company named Shadow Incorporated to do something regarding public trust is not lost on me, but that's what they did. So this Shadow Incorporated, they supposedly create the application that was asked. Uh, The Iowa Democratic Party, the IDP, then deploys that application to these precinct captains, tells them, this is how you report the vote from your precinct. So caucus night comes around, the app crashes. There's some controversy over exactly what went wrong with it Um, the idp claims that the precinct captains didn't know how to log in the precinct captains are saying no 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 wait a minute we logged in it crashed so there's some some conflict over that i just want to in the interest of transparency put that out there now this crash takes place very early on into the evening right as these caucuses were wrapping up um, before any results had been submitted to the media, anything like that. So the, the amount, the percentage of caucuses that had reported in was effectively 0% when this went down, and the IDP lost its ability to receive results from these caucuses. So zero, effectively 0% reporting, Pete Buttigieg walks onto stage after a couple of hours of this has gone on and claims victory in the Iowa caucus. Nothing had been reported. No indication suggested that it was a clear win for Pete Buttigieg, but that's what he did. That's what his advisors told him to do, and like a good little puppet, he went on and he did that. So right off the bat, we have some major Juan Guaido vibes coming off of this guy. Well, this gets the investigative arm of Rose Twitter activated, if you know what I'm saying. And they take a look into the financials of Shadow Incorporated. And they find the number one contributor to the funding for Shadow Incorporated is Pete for America Incorporated, which is the Pete Buttigieg campaign. Well, that's a little scary. That's a little suspicious. An app created to control our democracy was funded by a political campaign that participated in that election. Right off the bat, big red flags. It gets worse. We look into the leadership of Shadow Incorporated. Its parent company, on the board of its parent company, was a woman named Tara McGowan. Tara McGowan is a longtime sort of democratic establishment operative. Uh, she worked for Barack Obama's campaign. She worked on Hillary Clinton's failed 2016 campaign. And she is also married to an individual named Michael Hall. And Michael Hall is a senior strategic advisor to the Pete Buttigieg campaign. So let's do a bit of a rewind here. This app is, de- is developed by a company whose primary contributor was the Pete Buttigieg campaign. The CEO of the parent company of this organization was the wife of a senior staffer to Pete Buttigieg. Now, I'm not a conspiracy theory kind of a person, but at the very least, if this isn't a conspiracy, it is a gross, gross conflict of interest. And the fact that if this hadn't gone so terribly wrong no one would have noticed that the part that the people controlling the flow of information regarding the democratic process in iowa had direct and substantive ties to a campaign participating in that iowan election let's just say if this was a developing country in latin america there would have been an influx of u.s troops and cia operatives into that country to make sure that this never happened again and then the issues get worse so we talked about the suspicious application they're using to report results now let's talk about the results themselves well this delay over the inability to report results from uh these precincts to the iowa democratic party caused such an issue and irritated so many of the county chairs the precinct captains things uh in those, people in those positions that they began posting their results on social media the, they'd say something like we can't get a hold of the Iowa democratic party in any way it's been five hours i'm posting our results on here anyways Blackhawk County, one of the biggest counties of support for Bernie Sanders, this was the case. The county chair got frustrated, posted his results with uh, documentation to social media and um, issued a statement to the media regarding what happened in the Blackhawk County caucuses. And they showed Bernie Sanders with a substantial lead, going to pick up a lot of delegates in this county. Well, the Iowa Democratic Party did not realize that that these county chairmen and precinct captains were posting their information on social media. They eventually got around to releasing their official results for Blackhawk County. And let's put it mildly, they were a little bit off. The Iowa Democratic Party results for Blackhawk County distributed over 500 of the Bernie Sanders votes, about a 4% overall difference, to other candidates. The biggest recipient of these votes were... Tom Steyer, and Deval Patrick, I believe. And what's interesting about this is that the votes that were cast for Bernie Sanders that they then gave to Deval Patrick, I think, were the only votes the guy got in the entire state, and he got given 400 votes of uh, this amount in Blackhawk County alone. This got picked up on almost instantly. Social media blew up blatant inaccuracies. People were pretty certain How do you make that mistake? How do you take a name like Bernie Sanders and confuse it for Tom Steyer? It doesn't happen. It was suspicious in and of itself. Also, suspicions were also raised by many media personalities regarding the way the IDP reported their results – when they finally got around to reporting any results which wasn't until the day after the caucus by the way and what they did was they came out and they said okay we're going to release 60 percent of the results of the iowa caucus right now the rest we're not going to release yet um i don't know i don't think they actually gave a reason for why they're not they didn't release the other 40 percent but i think the insinuation was is that they still had to verify those results anyways they released 62 percent of the r- results on monday or i believe tuesday morning and in that 62 percent that was reported far more results were reported from these pete buttigieg heavy districts these rural areas these agricultural areas these older vote areas um, where he outperformed bernie sanders than were reported from urban areas, from college campuses, from places that Bernie Sanders would have done well. This was seen by many as cherry picking results. um, And the benefit that that gave them was it allowed the media, the mainstream media, to create this narrative heading out of Iowa and heading into New Hampshire that Pete Buttigieg won the Iowa caucus flat out. It was a narrative created to prop up the self-given narrative Pete Buttigieg gave himself uh, on the night of the Iowa caucuses by declaring victory with 0% reporting. Well, right off the bat, people were suspicious about that because we had enough numbers to know that the race was far closer, if not almost certainly, a Bernie Sanders victory than the numbers reported in the first 60%. People who were claiming this on Twitter were mocked, they were called conspiracy theorists, they were basically told that this kind of conspiratorial thinking and division was the reason Donald Trump won, and they were, if they kept raising these concerns, they're just doing 2016 all over again, well, it turns out, they were right. Um, Results started coming in over the the last 40 percent. The Sanders counties actually started getting counted. And what do you know? He won. He won in popular vote. And currently, as of right now, he trails Buttigieg in state delegate equivalents by those two state delegate equivalents. But there is so much incorrect inaccuracies between what the Bernie campaign had self-reported, what... Precinct and county chairs had self-reported on social media and what was reported, the people that have gone through all of those say if those results get corrected and um, corrected to where they need to be, Bernie Sanders will win the state delegate equivalence count as well. So he will come out with a clean sweep in Iowa of both the first alignment, second alignment, and state delegate equivalence. But this gamesmanship this political hackery that the iowa democratic party the democratic national uh, committee and the pete Buttigieg judge campaign the the crap that they pulled in iowa was specifically engineered to create a narrative that bernie sanders lost in iowa Because they are afraid of the implications that he might be the front runner for the Democratic nomination. And they want to give as big of a boost to any kind of establishment, pro-capitalist candidate that they can. Because they fear what happens if a populist, left-leaning leader gets control of their party. So no matter what you hear on the corporate mainstream media about how good Pete Buttigieg did in Iowa and how bad Bernie Sanders did. Bernie Sanders won Iowa. Bernie Sanders won a state that is 98% white, and he won a state that has not voted for a Democrat in a national election since 2008. And if you know anything about the demographics of America, you know that Iowa is not some bastion of leftist uh, political thought political philosophy. It's very right leaning at right leaning might be too generous of a descriptor for Iowa. It is a right wing state. The left movements in Iowa are what you would call center to center right themselves. There is no Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. There's no Bernie Sanders coming out of Iowa. These sort of center left political figures. They don't exist. So the fact that Bernie Sanders wins Iowa is an overperformance from what you would expect. And now he's heading into states that are have higher shares of people of color, of working class uh, families. And these results can only go up for him. And the mainstream media is terrified. Now I want to. I, I spent a lot of time talking about the Iowa caucus, so I'm not going to spend too much time talking about the New Hampshire primary. I just want to preview a little bit of what we can expect, um, and I'm probably going to make a prediction about what's going to happen. Uh, so to preview, Real Clear Politics, which is a, a pretty prominent uh, poll aggregating site, has Sanders up in their average polling average of New Hampshire by five points. Uh, This is a pretty substantial lead. Bernie Sanders usually outperforms his polls by about three to four points. So if this average is accurate, you can expect, well, if the average is accurate uh, of, of, of polls in general, you can expect Bernie Sanders to actually be leading by nine points. That would be crazy. That would be really good. That being said, uh, the fake narrative the media created with their hackery coming out of Iowa has uh, benefited Buttigieg significantly. He has gone up in New Hampshire polls by eight points from where he was before the Iowa caucus in the average. So Pete Buttigieg is getting a pretty big bump. Um, It is not overtaking Sanders in New Hampshire yet. Uh, Like I said, the average still has Sanders up by five points, but there was one poll out of the boston globe that had buddha judge one point behind that is a bit of an outlier but it's concerning it's concerning that this fake media narrative might um have swung a state that bernie sanders should have walked away with um into someone else's favor but uh, New Hampshire is a bit of the same story as Iowa. It's a little bit of a different state, but it falls into the same general category. It is predominantly white. There is not a large uh, demographic of people of color. It is a slightly younger. It is slightly more progressive. But I would characterize it as more of a traditional working class state. These are, you know, traditionally something like Ohio, Michigan, Pennsylvania, New Hampshire falls into that same general lane. White working class, um, not a lot of people of color. In, the, in those states in that electorate, but there is some and Bernie Sanders, of course, will mobilize his campaign around turning them out. But really, it is that working class demographic that lets uh, Bernie Sanders perform so well historically in New Hampshire and in these polls for 2020. So what would a Sanders win look like coming out of New Hampshire? Um, at this point, Buttigieg, because of this bump that he's gotten, is probably the only threat to Sanders handily winning this primary. Um, so, what I would consider a Bernie Sanders win is just Bernie Sanders by two points or more over Buttigieg. If he can just pull out a two-point or more victory over Buttigieg, that's a win. Anything more than that, that's you know a cherry, cherry on top of the Sunday. Anything less than that, if it's a one point win, that's a little that's a little scary. It's not and I'll touch on this in a second. It's not a huge concern, but he really shouldn't lose by or he shouldn't win by less than two points. Now, the best case scenario for Bernie Sanders coming out of New Hampshire is if he gets this two point or more margin victory in New Hampshire and Biden or Warren fall below 15 percent. Now, it's super unlikely that Elizabeth Warren will fall below 15%. She's a senator from a neighboring state. But if she does, there will be a lot of pressure on her to drop out of the race because she's seen as someone who takes votes from Bernie Sanders. Um, And if she falls below 15% viability threshold in New Hampshire, then there's no path to the nomination for her, and she has to recognize that, and she has to drop out. If Biden drops below 15% nationally or in new hampshire that's also very good for bernie sanders because that puts the knife in his campaign going into um, places with strong latino and african-american vote demographics places like nevada and south carolina that biden considered his saving grace it'll be pretty clear that those places are actually bernie sanders stronghold he will underperform in them if he stays in the race he will lose So if Bernie Sanders wins by two points or more and those two fall underneath viability, that's the absolute best case scenario for him. The reason why it doesn't really matter what happens with Buttigieg, provided he does not win New Hampshire, is Buttigieg has less African-American support. He has less Latino support than Donald Trump. Think about that for a second. Um, he has no way of winning these communities over to him because they they see right through his act. Um, so as long as he doesn't win the New Hampshire vote, once Nevada rolls around, once South Carolina rolls around, California, Texas, there there isn't another state on the map that Buttigieg can win. So in terms of a prediction, uh, it, it it's up in the air because the polls have been moving. A lot recently. I do think Warren and Biden will stay slightly above viability. As much as I wish that they would fall below viability, I think you'll see Biden coming in with 15, 16 percent of the vote. I think you'll see Warren coming in with something like 16 to 18 percent of the vote. But overall, I think Sanders will win uh, New Hampshire. I think he'll win with 26, 27 percent of the vote, and I think Judge will come in second somewhere around 23 to 25 percent of the vote so that brings us to this uh, final segment which is essentially why should leftists why should socialists or marxists care about these elections but before we get to that i am going to do a quick shameless plug here this is a new venture for me here with snn and i'm doing it out of a, a real passion for working and organizing towards a true workers future in america So I'm asking you if you enjoy this type of content and you think others might enjoy it as well, like follow, subscribe, whatever the case may be on the platform that you're listening to this on, and also take a quick trip over to Twitter and follow the podcast page at SNN podcast, that's SNN podcast. If you have any comments, suggestions, or constructive criticism, feel free to drop that there as well. Okay. Now with the sellout bit out of the way, the last thing I want to touch on is why leftists should care about these elections in the first place. All leftists who are listening to this know that there isn't an actual Marxist in the U.S. elections, and there hasn't been since probably Eugene Debs, any viable Marxists, I should say, in the U.S. elections since Eugene Debs back uh, in the World War I era. Sanders is most definitely a social social democrat he's not an actual socialist at least in public and there are a lot of completely valid opinions out there about whether the social democratic you know sort of revisionist approaches to the class struggle are helpful or hurtful and i'm not here to minimize either side of this debate within socialist circles so in the interest of transparency and fairness i'm going to acknowledge the most common counter argument Uh, those on the side of not participating in bourgeois electoralism generally give, which is this, when faced with the growing class consciousness and inevitability of worker revolution, uh, capitalist imperialism generally deploys several defense mechanisms. Uh, The final and most repressive of these mechanisms is fascism, but sometimes it will first attempt to save itself using methods that appear more humane and decent and this is what these people argue social democracy is it's a revisionist response it's putting a pretty dress on an ugly ugly beast that will continue to devour working class peoples and oppress people abroad and and they say supporting these revisionist social democratic policies only actually delays the actual workers revolution and therefore they can't in good conscience participate in the bourgeois electoral system i don't have any problem with that argument in fact i probably agree with most of it what i don't agree with is its implication that living in a social democratic state for say 20 years until worker revolution occurs is somehow less favorable than living in neoliberal or even openly fascist hell for 10 years and you can substitute pretty much whatever time periods into this analogy that you want And the great Brett over at uh, Rev Left Radio said it best when he argued that, yes, social democratic policies aren't perfect. They're very flawed. They have sometimes insidious intentions, but they can save real human lives in the short term. And I suggest that you go check out his episode on uh, Revolutionary Left Radio, uh, which covered this, which was Red Hot Take, What If Bernie Wins? He does a great in-depth discussion about this. Uh, I can't recommend it enough look I don't think the people who are dying in Yemen to the imperialist war that's being propped up by the United States care about what's authentically and intellectually Marxist policy and what's not I don't think the people of Venezuela who are currently being starved to death by US uh, sanctions care about the purity of Marxist movements. I don't think the families being permanently separated and put in concentration camps on the border of this country care about anything, any part of this discussion. They just want to live. They want to be with the ones they love and they want to pursue a life that they think gives them dignity that they find worth in. And I don't think anyone will deny that in the immediate that the immediate and best chance these people have at a future and that future of dignity is Bernie Sanders. To wrap this up, I I thought I would end my argument for why socialists should care about uh, this U.S. election with a bit of theory and philosophy for those on the, you know, sort of academic left who maybe aren't convinced it's worth participating in capitalist electoralism just for Bernie Sanders. So let me start with this quote from marx and i got this from the political writings of Karl marx volume three the first international he said we know that he must be paid to the institutions customs and traditions of various countries and we do not deny that there are countries such as america and england where the workers may attain their goal by peaceful means that being the case we we must recognize that in the most continental countries, the lever of revolution will have to be force. A resort to force will be necessary one day in order to set up the rule of labor. So in this quote, Marx is acknowledging that there is certain bourgeois electoral systems that have the capability of producing a workers' revolution within themselves. And he specifically points out America and England as examples of these Uh, systems that it might be possible in. Now, Marx and Engels would both evolve their stance on electoral reformism as they aged and as they witnessed world events that shaped their opinions. But even Engels, toward the very tail end of his life, would go on to say that electoralism at least has value in gauging the maturity of the working class, the maturity of the workers' revolution. That is to say is the workers revolution coming of age is it on our doorstep or is mass sentiment just not quite in the right spot for such an event i worry that a sanders defeat whether legitimate defeat or through the sort of bourgeois rigging and hackery that's going on in iowa um, and what happened in 2016 and what appears to be happening throughout the 2020 election as well i i worry that any defeat is only going to dampen the revolutionary spirit that truly is alive in america right now and that defeat will only embolden fascism things like donald trump or neo-fascists like the hillary clintons of the world they will only become more vicious they will only become more openly fascist once they have a narrative of the workers movement being dead and if ten years or eight years of a social democratic united states that maybe doesn't get barely anything done but gets medicare for all passed and helps out the working class gives them a taste of what a socialist movement can do for them is the catalyst for the true workers revolution i'm all for that i think that's the not just the Not just a viable path towards a workers' revolution, I think it's the moral thing to do. Because like I said, there are people dying in Yemen, there are people starving in Venezuela and all these countries all over the world that the U.S. has put the boots on their neck and they are strangled under the foot of U.S. imperialism. And the best option we have in 2020 is electing someone who is not as aggressive in those capitalist tendencies and that person is bernie sanders that's it for socialist news now i hope you enjoyed the content please feel free to come by our twitter at snn podcast and leave your comments and feedback until next week